Welcome to our weekly recording of the service here at Bigger and Blackmount Churches. I'm Mike Fucella, I'm the minister here, and we are so glad that you could join us. It's my prayer that you will be blessed by the message this week. If you'd like to find out more about us, please do get in touch. Contact me at biggerkirk09 at gmail.com. That's biggerkirk09, all lowercase, at gmail.com. So here's the message this week. Please be seated. It is so hard not to sing, especially a song like that. But it's coming. The day that we can sing is coming, and we will give it lolly when that happens that day. Let's pray as we approach God. Lord, each of us finds ourselves in treacherous places from time to time. How we got here is sometimes a mystery. Sometimes it's due to other people in situations we never saw coming. Sometimes it comes through our own choices. Thank you, Lord, that no matter how we got here, you are here with us, and you are our strength. Lord, this morning as we gather for worship, we ask that by the inspiration of your Spirit, by the blowing of your Spirit through your word read, sung, and thought about in our times of silence and in the breaking of bread. Assure us of your presence. Give us your strength. Teach us your wisdom. Rabbi Jesus, we come as your disciples to learn of you. And we pray the prayer that you taught us that is to shape all our life and all our praying. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Sam is going to come now and bring us our gospel reading. Okay. The reading this morning is from... Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. You'll have, to, you'll have to listen well. The fulfillment of the law. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, Not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, 
Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's stand once again as we prepare to reflect on God's word. Um, a friend of mine has recorded this song. His name is Steph McLeod, and with friends from all over Scotland, he's recorded this song, Amazing Grace, He is Lord. So let's stand and listen to this song about amazing grace. The passage that we're turning to this morning is about the law, but... I find that we cannot talk about the law of God unless we do talk about his grace. <clears throat> Let's pray as we turn to reflect on God's word. Lord, we do thank you for your amazing grace that has been shown to us from before the beginning of creation, but how that was revealed to us most in Christ Jesus. Lord, come to us now. Help us to understand a little bit more about that grace that saves us and that sustains us. Open our eyes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was young, the thing that attracted me to Jesus was that he appeared to be a revolutionary. I liked the radical new things that Jesus was doing and saying. I love that image of Jesus that we get from that incident in the temple when he turns the tables over and he gets a whip out and he drives the money changers out of the temple. In my naivety, I was under the impression that Jesus came to bring something totally different to what had come before him. And in a lot of ways, he did. But for years, I resisted reading the Old Testament. I was not alone in my beliefs. Early on in church history, we find a leader whose name was Marcion, who not only disavowed the Old Testament, but also cut out every verse in the New Testament that he believed referred to the Old Testament. Marcion had a belief that the God of the Old Testament is a different God to the one that we see appearing in Jesus in the New Testament. Now, even today, there is a group that call themselves red-letter Christians who, who put much more weight on the words of Jesus in the Gospels than they do on the words found elsewhere throughout the Bible what in older translations of the Bible were those printed red letters, the words of Jesus, and hence the name, red letter Christians. Now, Marcion was quite rightly branded a heretic. Rejecting the Old Testament was certainly not what Jesus was about. He says as much here in this brief passage that Sam so kindly read for us. It's a passage that is an important part of his Sermon on the Mount. 
But you can understand why Marcion believed what he believed. But what does Jesus say? He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Jesus says what he says here precisely because he knows his followers, Marcion included, will be tempted to think that he has come to abolish the law and the prophets. By the way, the law and the prophets there in verse 17 and law in verse 18 were both shorthand ways of saying the scriptures in Jesus' day or the Old Testament. Law or Torah was the usual way of speaking of those first five books of the Bible, the prophets, was a shorthand way of speaking of all the other books in the Old Testament. So law and prophets is the Bible. And law can sometimes be used to speak of the 39 books, all the books of the Old Testament. And of course, law has meant the 613 commandments and prohibitions that we find in the books of the Old Testament. Why and why were and are people tempted when they encounter Jesus to think that he has come to abolish the commandments of the Old Testament? Why did they think like that? Well, look at Jesus' actions. In the Gospels, we see Jesus mixing with the crowd and the unclean. We see him eating and spending time with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus did things that looked as if he and his disciples were disobeying the commandments. Jesus touched a man with leprosy. He healed another man on the Sabbath day. His disciples picked grain and ate it on the Sabbath, when according to God's laws, all these things were not permitted. At one point, Jesus declares all food clean when by God's commandments in the Old Testament, there was a strict difference between what was kosher and what was not. If Jesus wasn't abolishing the commandments, then what was he doing? Well, in his own words here in our passage, he says he has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. That word fulfill seems to be key here in here and elsewhere in the Gospels. Matthew in his Gospel has used this word fulfill five times already when he speaks of Jesus' birth and his ministry as fulfilling what was said about the coming Messiah in the Old Testament. So that's one way that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament scriptures, by fulfilling prophecies or predictions about himself. Jesus fulfills the prophecies about the coming Messiah. He, he fulfills what has been predicted by the prophets. They all come to pass in Jesus but there's another way in which Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. The word here, the Greek word, plerosai, 
means to fulfill, but it can also be translated fill up or draw out. So the second meaning of what Jesus has come to do vis-a-vis the law is to fill it up or to draw out the purpose for which the law was originally given. Jesus does this in the sense that Jesus is the person to which all the types and the shadows and the patterns of the Old Testament are pointing. Jesus' coming as God's Messiah to redeem the world was the purpose for which all the law was pointing. When we go back and look at the specific commandments in the Old Testament, we can identify three types of commandments there. There is the ceremonial law that has to do with maintaining ritual purity and these laws that have to do with the temple and its sacrifices. These Jesus fulfilled by being the real temple to which the tabernacle and the temple in Jerusalem pointed. And on the cross, Jesus himself becomes the sacrifice to end all sacrifices, all those sacrifices in the temple. Then there are civil laws that we find in the Old Testament, laws pertaining to being part of the nation of Israel, paying tithes and taxes, and behaving in a way that showed that these people, these people of Israel, belonged uniquely to God. These civil laws Jesus also fulfilled by coming to be the true Israel. Jesus came, as he did, as the promised seed of Abraham. And finally, there are the moral laws in the Old Testament. And these laws have to do with living a life in a way that is pleasing to God and makes us fit to live in God's world. Living by these commandments makes one truly human. And Jesus was the truest human that ever lived. Jesus fulfilled the vocation given to Adam and Eve, those first humans from day one. Jesus was the clear image of God, like no one before him or no one after him. So as for the moral law, Jesus obeyed it like no one else has ever obeyed it. He obeyed not just the letter of the law, but the law's very heart. Jesus, Paul tells us, was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. So that was Jesus and his relationship with the law. That's covered in verses 17 and 18 of our passage. Now, that's all well and good. Jesus, the one sent from God, the man who was God incarnate, can do that. He can fulfill the law. He can obey it completely. But then there's the question of our relationship to the law 
What about us? This question Jesus addresses in the last two verses of our passage in verse 19 and 20, where he says, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But but whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Hold on there, Jesus. If all those saints in the Old Testament couldn't keep the commandments, and if it took God becoming man to fulfill the law of which these commandments are part, then how on earth am I going to keep the commandments? Jesus, you're setting a very high bar here, and I know I, for one, am never going to match up to this. And verse 20 just clinches the argument against me. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. There's no way I'm going to be better at keeping the law than those Pharisees and teachers of the law. So accordingly, it seems, I'm never going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But is that really what Jesus is saying here? Looks like it. I don't think it is. There's a dilemma here. And the answer to this dilemma requires for us to think a bit more deeply not just about what is said here in this passage, but about the whole of the gospel. Okay, so how do we put together Jesus' words here and what is said in the rest of the gospel in a, a way that makes sense of this? It seems really vital, doesn't it? Especially if we want to enter the kingdom of heaven. Another important theological word occurs in these four verses. It's the word righteousness. Now, we've come across the word righteousness twice already in the Beatitudes, haven't we? And we observed when we looked at that word in the Beatitudes that righteousness was about being in right relationships being in right relationship with God primarily, but also with others. Significantly, however, the word righteousness occurs earlier in Matthew. It occurs in Matthew chapter 3. Remember then when John is baptizing people at the Jordan River, baptizing them, giving them this sign of their repentance and that their sins by God's grace will one day be forgiven. And Jesus comes to John and he asks John 
to baptize him. John initially refuses. Jesus has no sins to forgive. Why should he be baptized? And quite rightly, John refuses. But that is when Jesus uses the word righteousness. He says to John, baptize me, for by doing this, we fulfill all righteousness. You see, that day by the Jordan River, Jesus wasn't being baptized for himself. He was being baptized for others, you and me included. Baptisms, Jesus' baptism that day and our baptisms subsequently point to the cross. On the cross, Jesus would die for the sins of humanity. By dying in our place, Jesus fulfills all righteousness. By dying in our place, Jesus fulfills the demands of the law for us. Jesus' baptism was a foreshadowing of what would happen at the cross. So bringing together what Jesus says to John there in chapter 3 and what he tells to his disciples here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is saying by trusting in him, by virtue of being his disciple and being found in him, by acknowledging our poverty of spirit that we get there in the first beatitude, by acknowledging our need for his forgiveness and the new life that he gives as a gift, only then can our righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Only then can we be righteous and we can most certainly be righteous. The righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees was based on their own efforts. But our righteousness as disciples of Jesus is based on Christ's righteousness. It's based on his fulfillment of all of God's laws done for us as a gift of Amazing grace. Do you understand? It's hard to get your head round, but that is the kernel of the gospel. We can fulfill all righteousness because we belong to Jesus. He's done that for us. Does that mean, therefore, that we don't now need to obey the law of God? Well, the answer is no. It means that now, with Jesus in the mix, that we can obey the law of God. We can obey the law in the way that God always intended for us to obey it, not just following its letter, but by following the heart of the law through trusting in God's grace for our righteousness. So thinking back to those three categories of laws, 
It's not the case, as I had mistakenly thought in the past, that Jesus does away with the first two categories, the ceremonial and the civil, but still requires of us to keep that last category, the moral laws of the Old Testament. He says that he has come not to abolish any of the laws, even the least are still valid. But what he says is that he comes to fulfill them all. He comes to fulfill the ceremonial, the civil, and the moral law. It is the case that we no longer abide by the ceremonial and civil laws of the Old Testament. There's no longer a temple. We no longer need to make sacrifices, and we're not citizens of the ancient theocratic state of Israel. But that does not mean that the ceremonial and civil laws are no longer important. John Calvin said that though the use of the ceremonial and civil laws had ceased, their meaning through what Christ has done in his life, death, and resurrection is all the more confirmed for us. So we do well to study the Old Testament and its laws to understand God and his Christ more fully. The moral law, however, is still binding on us. But it's not still binding on us in the sense that we do not obey it, that in the sense that if we do not obey it, we will never enter the kingdom of heaven. No, we now rest in the fact that Christ has fulfilled even the moral law for us. We are now set free to obey the moral law, not from fear of being condemned, but in deepest gratitude that we are saved by grace not condemned, never left, never forsaken. In the rest of chapter 5 here of Matthew, Jesus will go on to show us what our obeying of the moral law by depending in faith on his grace will look like. And in the rest of the chapter, he gives us six very specific examples of that. So God willing... We will look at those next Sunday. So watch this space. For now, let's contemplate what we've heard, what God has written in his word as we listen to our hymn of response. Christ is mine forevermore. You can remain seated. Is gone and hope is sure when Christ is ours forevermore. And he has given himself for us what we need to do is receive from him. And that is what we do here in communion. We receive his grace. We are not worthy, as the little old liturgy said, to even pick up the crumbs from under the table. But he has called us his sons and his daughters, and he's made a place for us at this table and at the table in the feast of the kingdom of heaven.
This table is open to all who will come and eat with Jesus and with his family. If you're a visitor to our church and you love and you trust the Lord Jesus, you are welcome to join with us in this special meal. Now, obviously, because of COVID, we're doing things a bit differently. Since no one is serving us, we're going to eat together at the same time as a symbol of our unity. We'll do that with the bread and we'll do that with the cup. I'll instruct you when we get to the place to do that. But let's hear the institution, uh, the words of institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul writes in the first letter to the Corinthians, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us pray. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these gifts of bread and wine. The bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. By your spirit, make us one with all who share this feast, united in love and ministry in every age and in every place. We pray in and through our one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The things of God for the people of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who find refuge in him. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was arrested, took bread. And after giving thanks to God, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We eat together. same way he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins we drink together every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the saving death of the risen Lord. 
until he comes. Now I'll leave you to share the peace with one another, another afterwards. I think we can hug nowadays, but probably outside the building. Uh, do text people, send them a, a, a message on, on uh, Facebook and uh, share the peace of Christ with one another and with everyone you meet. That is what we're here for. But I share with you now the peace of Christ. The peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Can I ask Callum to come and join me? You can stand at this side of the communion table. I'll stand on this side. We'll keep a social distance here. Is your microphone on? Uh, yes. You, you can take, you can take, <laughs> take your mask, mask off. off. That's good. Perfect. Callum's our new... 2CYT worker. Do you know what 2CYT stands for? It's Clydesdale Christian Youth Trust. I don't know if people remember Alec. Alec was our last worker. Alec has, has moved on. God's led him on to another ministry now. Um, and Callum Keys has, yep. has come into this position now. And we are delighted that you've been able to come to be with us this morning and he's going to be with us throughout the week because we're doing a holiday club down in St. Mary's Hall a, a COVID safe holiday of club. Course. So Callum could you tell us a little bit about yourself and um, Sarah's here with him as well uh, yeah could you could you turn towards the camera oh, <laughs> yeah. just come come closer yeah. towards the table there we go that's that's better Sarah his wife is here yeah. and uh, yeah, um, so yeah, I'm married to Sarah. We actually live in Larbert, um, which is a bit of a distance away, but uh, we um, met at university in Stirling, um, and then we, we moved to Larbert um, just last January before lockdown hit um, to a, house, a, a new house, and uh, yeah, that, that's where we were based. So what, what were you doing before you, you came into yeah, so previous, CYT? So previous to this role, I was working with Sky, um, which, I mean, that, we had, I took that job because we needed me to be in a, a contracted job to get the house. Um, so before that, though, as I say, I was at university. I studied um, politics, philosophy and economics um, at Stirling. And then just previous to that, I did a gap year with Scripture Union. So I was up in Aviemore for a year um, working with Scripture Union there. Great, wonderful. So what are you looking forward most to doing in this, this role with 2CYT? So I think the, the thing I'm most excited to about is meeting the young people in Clydesdale um, and developing relationships that provide me the opportunity to really share the gospel with the young people in this area. Um, you know, I, I believe that, that God um, has a lot that he wants to do in this area and I, I'm excited to, to be part of that and see that happen. Definitely, wonderful. And what about this holiday club? coming up this week what's the theme and how many kids are coming and, and what about your team could you tell us yes yeah, so the our, club? our theme for the week is uh, big bible takeaway so we are using the theme of food which i think everyone loves food so it's a great theme and um, so we're looking at the different passages of the bible that kind of involve food so we're, we're starting off looking at the fall and then we're moving on to the manna and the desert um, and then we're looking um, 
where are we? Then we're looking at the Last Supper. And then we're looking at the, the passage where Jesus meets the disciples on the beach after he's risen and then the Feast of Heaven. So that's our theme for the week. Um, we have 21 kids coming. So there are actually two spaces that became available over the weekend. Um, so we, if, if anybody has any kids they want to sign up, then okay. we can get you a form. And uh, we have seven leaders on team. Uh, so myself and Valerie are coming. Valerie works for uh, SU in Lanarkshire. And then and there's five from the... The, like, the local churches that are helping. So, yeah, it's so great. So that's, that's more kids than we've had in a normal year, isn't it, sometimes? So that's it's pretty exciting. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited that God's going to do something yeah. great here. So can I, can I pray for it? Oh, yes. Tell me what I can pray for. What you can pray for. (laughs) I actually, if you don't mind, uh, Valerie sent a a prayer list that I'll just read out the... Okay. So that you've got... And maybe we could put that in our our newsletter as well. We do a weekly letter, so uh, Um, send that out by email. I'll send this to you. So our prayer points this week are a fantastic week of fun and great memories made, strength and unity for the team, depending um, depending on God as we serve, Holy Spirit to touch the hearts as the gospel is shared, lasting relationships to be built with families, a sense of God's presence with us, safety throughout the week and protection from any COVID-related problems, and God to be glorified through all that takes place. Wonderful. So I'll send we you will that. certainly all be praying for our, our holiday club, and I want to pray for it just now, but I also want to pray for you and for Sarah as you, you start this new adventure with us and with all the rest in Clydesdale Christian Youth Trust. Let's, let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the way that you have worked in Callum and Sarah's life so far. Thank you for calling Callum to this challenging work with Clydesdale Christian Youth Trust. We pray for him as he gets used to this new role And as he meets new people like us, we pray that you will open doors for him. Open doors to make vital connections with young people, with church leaders and staff at the schools. We ask you, Lord, to go before him and with him and behind him. Use him to bring good news in all the situations that he will encounter. We pray for Callum and Sarah in their family life, that you will bless them. Bless them wherever there is a need. Keep them close to one another and to you. And we pray for our holiday club this coming week. Thank you for the fantastic turnout in terms of numbers signing up, especially in these strange times. Thank you for the team of volunteers. And as Callum has asked, so we pray for the team that they will have the energy they need, that they will be in tune with your spirit as you lead them through the week. But most especially we pray that you will speak to every child through all their leaders, through your word being read and explained and through the fun that will be shared. May they know your special love for each and every one of them. And may they come to claim you as their friend, their Savior, and their Lord. 
And we pray for safety for the team and children alike and for your blessing to be poured out not just on the children but on their families as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name.